So I was talking with uh, Jonathan Haidt, the professor of happiness, uh, on the phone last week, and we got off subject for a second, and we were talking about Martin Seligman, who's a famous uh, researcher at University of Pennsylvania, and he wrote a lot of books. One of them, my favorite, is Authentic Happiness. And Jonathan Haidt brought up uh, in our conversation about what makes people happy the research that this Martin Seligman, who is his friend, did on learned helplessness. And today I was just dealing uh, with one of the guys that's in my inner circle. I've got this inner circle kind of mentor business program where I spend 18 months, you know, showing people uh, how to get to the next level from wherever they are. And it just hit me. I saw the fear for this guy as he's jumping from one level in business to the next, you know, going from just making six figures to making a seven-figure multi-million-dollar business. And it reminded me what Martin Seligman talked about. So I've been really thinking a lot on this learned helplessness. So here's the analogy. And actually, not even an analogy. Here's the real science. They studied, let's say, a monkey at a zoo. They take it out of the jungle or it's born in the zoo. They put it in a cage and they bring it food three times a day or whatever, two times a day. They train it to be helpless. It's completely reliant on the zookeeper. Everything for each and everything. It can't have water. It can't have food. You know, it can't have shelter. Everything comes from this person behind the wall. You know, the zookeeper unlocks the door, comes through a little side. I used to live uh, by the San Diego Zoo in San Diego, and I'd watch him feeding the monkeys. You know, he comes in, he or she got a little pail of food, brings it to the monkeys, spends maybe a few minutes with them, then heads outside and, uh, you know, closes the, the gate and this monkey's happy learned helplessness. And what Martin Seligman found in his research, I think Martin Seligman at one point, because of his research, he became very famous and, you know, he became the head of the uh, American Psychological Psychologist Association. And what he found is these monkeys that are, have learned to be helpless, have lower levels of happiness than wild monkeys. And part of it is there's a depression or like a insidious kind of low level depression that comes from these monkeys not knowing that they can control or not being able, I should say, to control their own destiny. But the, here's the catch. Even when you take this monkey out of the cage and bring it back to the jungle, you know what happens to that monkey? Its brain has been so wired, I should say rewired to be helpless that it dies. You know, we all know this. If you take like a bird, a baby bird, I had this happen when I was young in San Diego, a little baby bird fell out of a nest and the mom left it and we took it. And it was a little, I think it was like a bluebird or something. And we'd feed it worms and all this stuff. And it, it grew up and, but it was completely reliant on us. And we brought it out and you know, try to set it free once it was older. And sure enough, what happened, you know, it ended up just dying out there. It didn't know what to do. And that's the same thing Martin Seligman found in his research. When you take these monkeys, they just basically, you know, are completely helpless. They don't realize at any moment they could reach out and get the fruit. They could reach out and, you know, go hunting, find insects, bugs, roots, all the things that monkeys eat. 
Instead, once that curse, I call it, of learned helplessness has been instilled into the brain out monkey, it's basically ruined, right? When I was on a farm with the Amish, I remember uh, talking to Sam Chup, one of the Amish guy that I stayed with. And, and remember, the Amish pretty much live with horses as their main form of transportation. They're, they're very close to their horses because horses, you know, plow the fields and they use them instead of cars. And so I was on a farm. Uh, I was in a community of Amish people just visiting for a few years. I spent there and they had 900 horses on that farm. It was crazy. There was horses everywhere. And I was talking to Sam about how he raises horses. And we were talking about a horse, a little horse that runs away. So I said, what do you end up doing? He's like, we have to sell them because that horse is ruined. Once the wiring of that horse learns that it can jump away, it's very dangerous because then, you know, it might be my little five-year-old kid holding the horse and this horse, thousand pound horse just runs off and kills him. So the wiring now that in that case, it's the opposite, right? Of learned helplessness. It's an undomesticated horse, uh, wanting to run out, but the principle is the same. Whatever hard wiring that you have in your brain, whether it's learned helplessness like the monkey or whether it's, you know, complete freedom and running off whenever you can, uh, whatever's there, it's probably, if you're not careful, what you're going to die with, what you're going to carry with you for your entire life. And that's why when you look at society, we are in such disarray financially, let's say. Why? Well, Everybody's a salary slave. I talk a lot about this in uh, my inner circle training, you know, this this concept of the salary slave. So I'm not going to totally talk about this now because it's for a whole nother conversation. But I want to broach this subject. This is one of the 67 uh, steps. A lot of you know that I have this 67 steps, you know, to greatness, to millionaire, whatever you want to becoming an artist, model, actor, uh you know, charity, just starting a charity, whatever it is that's your thing, there's 67 steps. And one of them is getting rid of this hard wiring in your brain that you've been taught without even realizing from a young age. Think about how you grew up. Most of us grew up. How do we grow up? We went to school. What happens at school? Well, you are handed knowledge, right? They give you a book. They give you uh, whatever, a lecture or whatever it is, they're giving you every little thing. So what have you been taught? That knowledge is something that must be handed to me. That's a problem already. Knowledge having to be handed to you. That's what you were taught about education. What were you taught about work? Well, Joel Salatin used to say, man, parents just ruin their kids' attitude towards work because what they do is they say, Susie, you didn't get a good grade at school today. You have to do the dishes. You have to, you know, you're being mean to your brother or sister. You got to do the dishes. And Joel said, do they realize the hard wiring that they're training their kids to associate work with punishment? You see, the Amish did it much better. What the Amish do? I remember one time the Amish don't really, they're, they're pacifists. They don't really believe in spanking their kids or anything. Although occasionally when the kids are really young, they give them a little swat. Nothing. They're not very aggressive. But one thing the Amish do that's a genius in terms of wiring the brain. I remember the same guy, Sam, 
he had a son, David, and David did something wrong. And he said to him, David, uh, sorry, you can't come out to work with all of us today. And David was devastated. He's like five or six years old. No, I want to go work with my dad and my brothers. See, he was wiring his child's brain to associate work with pleasure. But you and I, I bet you we weren't lucky enough, most of us, to have parents that were that tuned in to how the human mind works. We didn't have school teachers tuned in enough to say, hey, we're not going to tell you. We're not going to provide you the textbook. We're not going to tell you what you need to study step by step. Today, read this chapter. We're just going to give you the end goal. We're going to say, we want you to understand the history of America. You go out and do it. Right? But instead, in education, we got learned helplessness. Incorrect wiring. When we were raised by our children, I mean by our parents, incorrect understanding of work was given to us. Right? They punished us with work. Instead of showing us like what Arnold Schwarzenegger's dad did. Arnold Schwarzenegger's dad, before Arnold could eat breakfast, his dad would make him do five push-ups. So he'd get the reward after he worked out. And guess what? His dad rewired his brain. It was not learned helplessness. It was learning the reward of work well done. And Arnold Schwarzenegger carried that with him all the way to where he's in his 60s now, and he's still in good shape. My friend was telling me he met uh, Arnold recently, when right after he was the governor of California, and he said, I put my arm around him for the picture, and it was like a solid wall of muscle even though he's like, whatever, 65 or something. You see, the fruits of proper wiring are amazing, but the inverse is also true. The learned helplessness that you and I have when it comes to how to learn, when it comes to how to work, when it comes to salaries versus being entrepreneurial and taking some risks ourselves, all of this ends up making us feel entitled Instead of empowered, you never want to be entitled. Remember, people at the top hate you if you're entitled. There's nothing that will make my rich friends more angry than being around somebody who's entitled. If you want to rub shoulders and have business partners that are the best, if they even sniff one ounce of entitlement, they're not going to want to do business with you. You're going to lose out on huge opportunities, both in life and in business. So think about your life. We always talk here on this show about the good life. Think about each area, main pillar of your life, health, wealth, love, and happiness. So health, have you been in power or entitled? Is the wiring of your brain teaching you learned helplessness? Like, well, you know, yeah, if I get a gym membership, if I could afford a gym membership, oh, if I had a personal trainer, if I had someone motivating me, yeah, then I would eat right. Then I would work out. That's entitled. You're expecting that you deserve something. You know, we don't deserve anything except, you know, maybe the opportunity, the chance. I was reading to to my friend that I was having, you know, I was diagnosing his learned helplessness. And I was reading from uh, chapter, I think it's chapter four. Let me see here what chapter it is uh, of the lessons of history by Will Durant. One of the top five best books, in my opinion, ever written in 
the last thousand years. And chapter three talks about biology and history. And it says, so the first biological lesson of history is that life is competition, right? Life is competition. He goes on later to say, uh, in the struggle, the second biological lesson of history is that life is selection in the competition for food or mates or power. Some organisms succeed and some fail in the struggle for existence. Some individuals are better equipped than others to meet the tests of survival since nature here, meaning total reality and its processes has not read very carefully the American Declaration of Independence or the French Revolutionary Declaration of the Rights of Man, we are all born unfree and unequal, subject to our physical and psychological heredity and to the customs and traditions of our group, diversely endowed in health and strength and mental capacity and qualities of of character. Nature loves difference as the necessary material of selection and evolution. Inequality is not only natural and inborn, it grows with the complexity of civilization. Heredity, hereditary inequalities breed social and artificial inequalities. Every invention or discovery is made or seized by the exceptional individual and makes the strong stronger, the weak relatively weaker than before. You see, if you are entitled and you think that the American De- Declaration of Independence or the French Revolutionary Declarations of the Right of Man is actually the real way of nature, well, then you're just another cog in the machine, right? You know, Karl Marx said religion was the opiate of the masses. And I think he was wrong, even though, you know, in many ways, he was a very brilliant man, one of the last Renaissance men, even though his theory of communism and socialism seems to be uh proven wrong, you know, at least at least in the form it is now. It seems like it didn't work out. But nonetheless, he was a brilliant man. But I still think he was wrong, not only on communism, but also religion's not the opiate of the masses. It's the thought and the entitlement of humans. If you can root out the entitlement and the learned helplessness from the hardwiring of your brain, guess what? You're going to realize you're like that monkey, but now you're not in a cage. You're in the jungle. And if you reach to your right or to your left, there's a banana for you. There's fruit for you. Everything you want is right there. You are the master of your own destiny. Now, we're not completely masters of our own destiny because we need a group. So you must assemble a group of other monkeys, (laughs) a tribe, allies, business partners. But make no mistake, you have the capacity to do all this. The reason I'm so big on reading a book a day is because books are free. If you don't have the money to buy a book a day, get a library card. Most countries in the world, it's free. Read. It's right there. You are not entitled to have knowledge. You must earn it. If you say, well, Ty, I don't read as much as you. So I don't know these things. How am I supposed to know? Well, that's learned helplessness. You've been brainwashed in your childhood through the current educational system, maybe inadvertently through your parents to be going, other people are responsible to educate me. No. Did you hear what Will Durant just said in the lessons of history? Nature doesn't want to help you. 
It wants the differences between people so that some people stand out over others so that natural selection can take its course. Biology is number one, competition. Biology is number two, natural selection. Now, some of you might be afraid and say, I don't want to believe in that world. I want to believe in a world where everything, well, that's fine. If you don't know who the sucker in a room is, you're the sucker. Never be the sucker. It is a nicer story to think that biology isn't real, that competition isn't the natural course and selection isn't true. But it is. It is. Look around you. It's happening at every level. So you can either fight it or you can join it. Now, I don't mean you have to be ruthless and you have to oppress the poor or anything like that. This is not an elitist message. This is a message that's as close to fact as any fact we know in history. The scientific fact of selection and competition is happening. It's happening if you live in a free market economy, if you live in the United States or Western Europe, in great part, right? There's selection. People who make better choices, their businesses grow. If you look at health, you know, people say, oh, it's not my fault. I'm overweight. Well, whose fault is it then? Are you learned helplessness? Because if I go out my street, I see people jogging. Seems like they have the freedom to jog. Running will get you in shape. My friend Janelle, one of the top male models in the world, he's with Ford in, uh, in New York. You know, he's, I asked him once, what's the secret to being in shape? He's like, run, run three times a week. I was, uh, I do, uh, I box and I got a guy, I, one of the top trainers, uh, from, um, from Wildcard Gym, which is a famous gym here in Hollywood. And his name is Bird Legs. That's his nickname. And he, and I said, what's, what's the secret to being in good shape, man? He's like, run, <laughs> jog, run. So who listening to this? doesn't have that capability to just get out and run, run. I don't care how old you are. Start slow and build up to it over 18 months, right? There's no learned helplessness with your health. You are the master of your own health. No one listening to this is being force fed anything. Even the busiest person here can walk up the stairs and exercise and burn more calories. But you know why most people won't? It's the hardwiring in the brain. It's empowerment. I mean, entitlement thinking, well, I deserve to be healthy. I'm a human. Declaration of Independence says I have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, you have the right to get it, but it's not going to be given you. Imagine if the world changed their thought. Imagine if you and I changed each area and recognized each area of our life where we've been a victim of learned helplessness and Cut it out with a scalpel like a surgeon cutting cancer out of our life. If you don't know a lot, it's on you, man. <laughs> Female, male, listening to this. <laughs> that's a gender neutral man when I say man, right? If you don't know a lot, that's on you. And remember what Warren Buffett says, the more you learn, the more you earn. For the most part, if you are unhealthy, 99 out of 100 times, it's on you. Like Rabbi Hillel said in the Middle Ages, the famous Jewish teacher, he says, if you don't love you, who will? Meaning, who else is responsible for your health? I can't control what you put in your mouth. You know, I'm not a big political guy, but one of the problems I have with the nationalized health care system, where I have to pay for all the people who like to eat McDonald's and smoke, it's not fair. They have the right to eat whatever they want, 
and smoke whatever they want, but they also should have to live with the consequences. See, everybody wants entitlement. They're like, well, I want to be able to eat whatever I want, smoke whatever I want, and then I want everyone to pick up the bill. Again, this is not a political show that I do. I actually don't like politics. It never really gets to the real answers. But that's an illustration of a mentality that's pervasive throughout the world. You know, Occupy Wall Street. Everybody's mad at Wall Street. Well, I'm sure there's lots of greed and corruption in Wall Street. Uh, in fact, in this same book that I was reading today, Lessons of History. By the way, if you go on my site, tylopez.com, I'll have the show notes with all these links to these books that I'm mentioning. Do you have to read? If you look in my must reads on tylopez.com, I put, you know, the top 100 or 500 best books of all time. This Lessons of History by Will Durant. You should read it two or three times a, a year. Uh, and for those of you who know, I teach this idea, um, of making friends with 150 books and reading them over and over for the rest of your life. That's an important book that I read. Uh, and you should read it too. And, and, and you know, talks about this over and over. The lessons of history, the tyranny of entitlement, rooted out, rooted out. Nobody owes you anything. Nobody. Your mom might have told you that, but she was biased, right? You don't care what I eat. You're not here double checking on me. I'm responsible for me. The world that we would live in, if everybody did this, I was talking to Roland Lazenby, this guy who wrote 60 of some 60 of the top uh, sports books. And he, he's known Michael Jordan since 1979. And he told me, Ty, one thing I said, what's it like to be around Michael Jordan? This like overachiever guy who gets everything he wants. He said, you know, well, think of it this way. If everybody was like Michael Jordan, Ty, he said, we'd be building condos on the moon right now. Like every single problem. This is why I don't like politics. Every single problem you can name from war to healthcare to political strife, to poverty, homelessness, not enough oil and energy on the planet, pollution, uh, cutting down the rainforest, extinction of species, agriculture gone wrong, everything you name, there's only one really tried and true solution. That's for you to get rid of a state of learned helplessness and be that monkey out in the jungle that takes over its own destiny and does it in conjunction with other people. You see, that's the only solution. Everything else is a band-aid. I'm not a libertarian or whatever. It is a band-aid. If everybody, you and I, were like Michael Jordan, there'd be no political problems. We would be, now there'd be competition probably at some level, but those big problems that we have, for example, I was reading this Gates Foundation where they were talking about global warming. So some people think global warming is real or man-made, some don't. But let's just say there is global warming, but we don't know why. It could be human cause or it could be, you know, just the random changing like the Ice Age, uh, what, I forget, 150,000 years ago or 10,000. I forget when the last Ice Age was, but let's just say it's a natural cycle. Uh, who cares, right? We could still cause a problem. So the Gates Foundation had this one scientist guy, or this is a young guy, who basically said, we can just blow some stuff up into the uh, outer atmosphere. So, something like, I forget what it was, something like silica or something. Just like something you find, kind of like a sand, and blow it, and it would cause enough, I guess, uh, 
covering of the outer atmosphere that it would reverse global cooling or global warming or global climate change. You see, one person who wasn't entitled, who went out and took advantage of, the, of learning and knowledge and creativity and unharnessed his brain from the entitlement, you know, umbilical cord and said, I'm my own master. I will learn. I will learn. I will understand. I will connect with knowledge and solutions. He came up with it. Imagine if the 7 billion people in the world, imagine if millions of people were like this or even billions. And you might say, well, Ty, that's just a dream. That'll never happen. Well, you're probably right, but that's the dream that I like to have. Learn helplessness. It's going to kill everything in your life. Many people listening to this are top entrepreneurs. Uh, my show, you know, gets a lot of people running $50 million businesses, $100 million businesses. That might be you listening, or you might be, uh, you know, kind of the other half of my show, which is people just starting out, or maybe people that don't even have their own business. Nonetheless, I don't care if right now you're making a million dollars a month or $5,000 a month or $1,000 a month, or you're a student. I got an email from somebody who was like, Hey, I own a, I own my own company. It was a long email. I get a couple hundred emails at a time now. And this one said, Hey, Ty. And I started a company and I'm, it's an architecture company and I'm only making like 45,000 a year and I feel stuck. And can you give me, uh, you know, can I be in your inner circle, your business inner circle that it's a private program I do and you help me, you know, build it into a million dollar business. And then he closed the email by saying, oh, by the way, I just turned 15 years old, 14 and a half. That's the world we live in. No matter what age you are, that Sumley kid in England, he started an app, a news summary app, and, and he sold it for, I think, $30 million. That could be you. I don't care if you're 65 listening to this. You could be the next Colonel Sanders or Ray A. Kroc. If you're making a million dollars a month right now, that might seem a lot to you, but you need to set your goals higher. My friend is making a million dollars a day right now, right? I got lots of friends making, you know, and business partners making a million bucks a week. It's all there. There's no difference between them and you, but there is a big difference in the mind. So a couple practical steps. I want you to go through uh, four areas. We're going to go through practical things you can do today to root out the learned helplessness that Martin Seligman spoke on to get rid of the feelings of entitlement, to get rid of the uh, brainwashing that happened to you and I since you were very, very young, and to move into this new state where it's learned helpfulness, not helplessness, your ability to help yourself and to help those allies around you. So when it comes to your body, the simplest place to start is if I don't, uh, fix my body, your body's on a steady and quick decline into chaos. That's why as you get older, your chance of getting cancer quadruples, quintuples, more, your chances of accident, your chances of uh, any type of, you know, bone issue, heart issue, blood pressure issue, which means there is no life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness that you're just entitled to every day. You're a little bit closer to decay. So you better say, I'm not in the cage anymore. I can go out. 
and do exercise no matter where I am, no matter what budget I have. I was interviewing Edan Ravine. Some of you may have seen on Instagram. If you're not on my Instagram, check out Ty Lopez and the number one or Ty Lopez official, uh, my Facebook and YouTube. And I got, I've been interviewing and befriending this guy, Edan Ravine. He wrote the book, the hope hoops whisper, which I recommend you get. It's a great story. And in the story, Edan was, uh, kind of trained. He comes from a Jewish background. His parents were very conservative. They wanted him to be a, uh, what did they want him to be? It was like a, um, um, a lawyer. Thank you. Sorry. Got lost there in my thoughts. They wanted to be a lawyer. So he was going to be a lawyer and he got into it. It was just absolutely miserable, but he had always loved basketball, even though he wasn't quite good enough to play pro basketball. He had almost made the college walk on team and at one point, he's just like, I'm going to quit what I'm doing. He quit what he's doing, lawyer. And he pursued basketball. And he ended up now, he's known as one of the top trainers uh, for all the top basketball players. So LeBron James, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant. I mean, the top 15 basketball players. He's actually out here in Beverly Hills now. We've been hanging out. And... The second he got rid of learned helplessness, he grew into this guy living out his greatest fantasy, spending time pro basketball, working with the best of the best. But what I found so interesting, he was over at my house the other day and I was working out and I was like, Hey, give me a few tips. Cause he's like, he's not just a personal trainer. He trains, you know, Carmelo Anthony. He comes up with all these cool ways to get better shooting basketball and dribbling and throws a tennis ball at your left hand while you're dribbling with the right and does all these crazy little exercises. And so I was like, Hey, what do you recommend, you know, for, for regular non-pro athletes like me? And he's like, you know, the best thing you can do is just pull-ups and push-ups. And I was thinking, Pull-ups and push-ups. All my friends talking about how, oh, I don't have a gym membership. I can't afford it. He's like, pull-ups and push-ups. Everybody can do that. You can do push-ups wherever you are. So if you're listening to this, try this. If you're not in great shape or even if you are in great shape. I was reading about, I forget that one actor guy. He's like 45 and he does like a thousand push-ups a day or something. And he's he's ripped like six-pack. Like it's amazing. So if you're a guy and you're already in great shape, try doing a thousand push-ups a day. If you're just starting out and you're not good in shape, do one push-up a day. Set an 18-month goal to get rid of all learned helplessness. No more. You're just like, oh, I do not uh, like my body and I'm going to slowly but surely fix it. Two things that will help you there. Set a long goal. No one-week diets. Start small, slow and build up over 18 months. It'll... You'll stick to it a lot better and your metabolism will have time to catch up. Okay. Even though you could go on a bomb diet and, you know, just like, boom, I'm going to blow up, uh, blow off 30 pounds of fat in one month. Just, just go slow. It's better that way. All right. Like the Amish used to say, Ty, a fence that goes up fast falls down fast, but a fence that goes up slow stays up forever. So do it slow. Try pushups. That's simple. If you're a woman, try pushups. You can do it too. All right. Next thing, wealth, your money situation. Here's the biggest one for most people listening where learned helplessness has set in. Because think about it. When you're growing up, most people don't have parents that have you start your own business. And Warren Buffett says uh, the number one core uh, kind of correlated behavior 
of a highly successful person is the age at which they started their first business. So if they started the first business at five, have a much higher likelihood he found in probabilities. I was lucky enough to have started my first little business at three or four or five. I had this little cherry tomato stand outside of my house in Claremont, San Diego. I remember nobody bought that those cherry tomatoes. I remember thinking, man, this is a genius idea because my mom had a garden and cherry tomatoes are easy to grow. And I'm like, heck yeah, this thing's awesome. But then uh, I realized nobody really gets that excited about cherry tomatoes. So a couple months later, I started a new business after one day of that one failing and it was a lemonade stand. And that one, I put a lot of sugar in it. <laughs> I guess I learned the lesson that Coca-Cola and McDonald's learned. If you uh, poison people with a whole bunch of junk food, they buy more. So don't judge me. I was like six years old, uh, back then. And I saw that, you know, this works. You can make money on your own. Thank God my parents let me do that. Now you may not have a parents that push you that way. Maybe your parents were salary slaves, as I call it. And so they just told you, uh, oh, do this, get a job, work for the man. And then you went to educational system. That's the same thing. And college, that was the same thing. And you, Spent 20, 30 years having the wiring of your brain expecting you, just like the monkey, to bring you, you know, the zookeeper opens the door on the 1st and 15th and delivers you your little check and walks back out and closes it. Now, I'm not making fun of everybody who has a salary because some people uh, are, 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 you know, you need to have some, not everybody's an entrepreneur, although I would say... A hell of a lot more people could be an entrepreneur. In fact, I'm going to say, what would be a wrong with the world where almost everybody was entrepreneurs or training under an entrepreneur? That's the person who should have a salary. You know, I was uh, taking a cab the other day and and in Hollywood and this cab driver got so mad. I don't know what his deal was. I was with like two or three other friends and he just pulled over the cab and was like, everybody get out. Again, he was, I don't know if he was having a bad day. And I was like, he just started yelling at me. And we were just like, I'm not getting out. And he ended up running down the street and having a police officer come and ask us to leave. We weren't doing anything wrong. He was just, he was mad because I wouldn't give him the address because my house is way up in the hills. And I said, I'll tell you how to get there. Just follow me. And so he, that apparently made this guy mad. And, you know, it got me thinking. He was a 45-year-old guy. He's driving a taxi. And I was thinking, now, don't take this the wrong way because I'm not elitist. I, I I understand that not everybody, you know, can be the next Bill Gates. I'm certainly not the next Bill Gates. But it made me think, you know, you should be a cab driver when you're like 18 paying your way through school or something because your big goal is something bigger or you're going to learn how to start the next Uber or the next Lyft app. You know, you have like a dream. But see... If you're not careful, like this guy, now I don't know his exact story, so I'm not judging him, but it just reminded me of so many people that I know where you get lulled to sleep by that paycheck. Hey, you know, don't take the risk of making your own money. Well, you know, it's a false security because in the modern world, most companies aren't loyal anymore. You might have a job for a month, a year, but you know what? The second they can cut you, they will. There's no security in an insecure world except the security you make with yourself and your tribe. That's the best you're going to make. And what do I mean by your tribe? That group of people who are your allies, 150 people, Dunbar's number. So 
when it comes to finances, if you are still stuck, you better get out of it. It's false security. You know, it's false security. It's kind of like being on a farm and you're an animal. You're, a, you know, you're like a chicken or a pig. And sure, the farmer feeds you every day, but his intentions are not what you think. He's not looking out for your well-being. He's going to sell you to the butcher. And that's what happens if you're not careful and you stick to that salary slave. Boy, one day that farmer who's been feeding you the check, he's going to call in your number and he's not going to have your best interest at heart. If you are an entrepreneur and you've already stepped away and you're already making money on your own, that's many of you listening to this, about half of you. Well, you still can get secure, overly secure. You can still become helpless if your income of your business is not growing at the rate that you foresaw, if your business is not thriving in the way that you planned, it could be that your plan was unrealistic. You could have been like, okay, on January 1st, I'm going to launch a business and on March 1st, I'm going to be a billionaire like Bill Gates. Maybe your plan is uh, unrealistic, but oftentimes you made a realistic plan. Hopefully you've listened to my other talk where I talk about make war with a multitude of counselors. You, you built a plan. We talk about this a lot in, in my inner circle, uh, uh, program, my private program, uh, which is, has a heavy emphasis on business and entrepreneur and building a million dollar seven figure or beyond business. Um, you know, when I'm teaching that, I see this is that people get going. They make a decent plan, but it doesn't come to fruition and then they just freeze right there. So maybe you start a business and you're stuck making $50,000 a year or $100,000 a year or $200,000. I can almost certainly, if I was there in your house right now, if you snap your fingers and I was there, I can attribute it much of it to learned helplessness. You've learned to be helpless in this situation. You are not pulling yourself out of it by going, okay, why am I stuck here? I shouldn't still be stuck here. You're going, hey, I'm entitled. If I just sit here banging my head against the wall long enough, my business revenue is going to hit a million bucks. No, that's not how it works. That's a rooted in this learned helplessness. You got to get out there. And like I talk about, build more skills, build more allies, accumulate more capital, land, labor, and capital. You're probably weak on one of those three. It's all within your power. There's no difference between the average millionaire and the average person. People in terms of natural ability, people don't read that. Read the book, The Millionaire Next Door. The average millionaire does not have 150 or 160 IQ. Now, I will say to become a billionaire is very difficult. So most billionaires are born with tremendously high IQs. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, so on. So obviously not everybody in the world is built that they could make a thousand million dollars. There's some natural capacity, just like being born, born tall enough to play pro basketball. Not most people aren't, but for you to reach, remember I talk about, uh, the four levels of financial, uh, the four financial levels, scarcity, financial independence, prosperity, and wealth. So wealth, uh, is the final and the fourth. Maybe not everybody can get there. Maybe you don't quite have the capacity or the time or, or, you know, fate hasn't dealt you that card, but you better get to financial independence if you value your own life and you can probably get to prosperity 
you know, prosperity, I, I, financial independence for most countries is about 80 to $120,000 a year, according to uh, Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winner. Uh, and prosperity is like a hundred thousand to a million bucks a year, right? That's within your power. I don't care if you're listening to this and you were never good at school. Neither was Richard Branson. He was dyslexic. He dropped out of school at 15 years old. Okay. So that might be you. You're not book smart. That's okay. He became a billionaire or maybe you're just stuck at 500 grand a year and you've told yourself a story that, well, this is where I am. It's kind of that entitled, like, yeah, I kind of deserve to be here. I probably don't deserve more. Probably don't deserve less. Well, here's the good news and the bad news. The bad news is that you rarely will be able to hold your business revenue. You either are going up or going down because the nature of com- competition, well, if you study macroeconomics, the nature of this big beast we call the economy is that new entrants are always coming into your industry. And if they work a little harder and a little smarter and have a little more capital or have some connections that you don't have, the next thing you know, they're taking your profits. That's why if you talk to an economist at any university, one of the first things they'll say is in the long term, there's no excess profit. So if you're not going up, the odds are you're going down. So if you're in this state of learn helplessness, like I'm just going to hold on to what I have now, that's an illusion. Do not chase the mirage. So many people in business are chasing the mirage. You don't have to try to become the next trillion dollar business like Walmart or Steve Jobs. But if you're doing the right business and you're serving your customers and you're providing a service to the world, then have some growth to that business and make sure that if the growth doesn't materialize, that you blame yourself and that attitude alone will say, I got to read more. I need to have a bigger educational budget. One of the things I have in the 67 steps is what I call the amazon.com and the $32,000 brain budget. Last year I spent $32,000 on books and materials from Amazon and, you know, different seminars and all this. And I've already done a lot in business. I mean, you know, Relatively, I'm not a Richard Branson or Bill Gates, but I've made a few bucks in business before and I'm still spending $32,000 a year on books. I'm here in my library surrounded by at least 200, 300, 400 books on my floor that I'm trying to read this year. How many have you read? To get what you want, you have to deserve what you want. The world is not yet a crazy enough place to reward a whole bunch of undeserving people. That's Charlie Munger, the billionaire. It's a quote I memorized. We talked about this, the voices in your head. How many voices of wise counselors do you have in your head? How many pages of top business books have you memorized? How many uh, quotes do you have of the top 30 business people of our time? How many biographies have you read? How many how-to books? How many investment books have you read? The answer for most people is painfully low, and that's why... You're still in a state of learned helplessness. Man, you're out in the jungle. We live in the modern world. There's never, I don't care what anyone says. I got in this argument with somebody the other day and they were saying the rich are getting richer and da, da, da. And I said, well, you know what? You're right. The rich are getting richer. But so is everybody. You see, the gap between the rich and poor is getting larger. But did you know that in relative real dollar terms, 
even the poorest of the poor in the world now are much wealthier than they were a hundred years ago. Even in the poorest countries, they got cell phones and electricity. Trust me, I've been on leper colonies in India. I've been to 51 countries. I've seen, and now I'm not saying there's not tremendous poverty because there definitely are areas with tremendous levels of poverty. But you know what? Today is a better time to live in in every single country in the world. Basically, I'm sure there's a few, I think there's 190 countries or something. I'm sure there's a handful where this isn't true. But for the vast swath of the planet Earth, everything's gotten better. So that old alibi of, oh, I I have a friend like this, you know, he just drove me nuts talking about the American government, just the mortgage crisis. He started in 2008, just blaming everything on the government, just like this Occupy Wall Street. I'm like, well, wait a second. Who signed all those mortgage loans for crappy loans for homes that people couldn't afford? Was that the government or was that millions of people being greedy and they forgot? See, they hadn't read and listened like you're learning. Warren Buffett says, when everybody's greedy, you should be conservative. And when everybody's conservative, you should be greedy. See, people got what they deserved. They didn't understand economics. They didn't read. They hadn't educated themselves. And they took the hit in 2008. Now, do I feel bad for people? Of course I do, especially for children. Because, you know, five-year-old child is at the mercy of their parents for food and shelter and so on, right? So most of it, though, is a bunch of BS. It's not Occupy Wall Street. You know, the problem with Occupy Wall Street, the thing that makes me kind of laugh about it, who do you think owns the majority of the stock market, which, which is... Which is Wall Street. Most of the companies in America, guess who owns them? You and I in our retirement 401k plans. We're the majority shareholders. If we all, you know, came and showed up at the annual meeting, we could outvote everybody. Bill Gates is not the dominant shareholder in the American economy. It's millions of people like you and I. So when you're protesting Wall Street, you're protesting yourself. See, everybody likes to blame Alan Nation in his, uh, one of my first mentors. I was reading this month's, he published a magazine called The Stockman Grass Farmer. And he had this, uh, article. It's called Alan's OBS. It's his, it's his, uh, you know, uh, little monthly opinions. And he said, the main reason people hire consultants is so that they have somebody to blame when something goes wrong. <laughs> he said, apparently most people won't take a risk by themselves because then they'll have nobody to blame but themselves. So they'll hire a consultant for their business just so when things go wrong, they can say, oh, the consultant gave me stupid advice. And then things go right, they'll just take the, the credit for themselves. That's how the world is because most people have learned helplessness. They can't just say, oh, yeah. I probably don't have much money in my bank account because looking back over the last couple of years, I've been spending all my money on things that rust, rot, and depreciate. Average American, $33,000 in car debt. How much sense does that make if the average American makes like 48000 How are you going to spend eight months of your salary on one car? Why not get a $5,000 car and save the other twenty eight grand and invest it? The opposite of a consumer is an investor. The richest group of people in the world are not real estate People, they're not tech people. They're not people doing apps and WhatsApp and the next Facebook. No, 
I think 77 or so of the top 400 self-made billionaires in the world are investors. The largest category by almost double. You got to be an investor. So with your business, learn more, have better counselors around you, better advisors around you, invest 30 grand in, in learning. And if you don't have that much money in your business, well, is it the chicken or the egg? Do you not have 30 grand because you never spent 30 grand on education? Spend money on education. Everybody's cheap about the things they should be, uh, you know, spent a big spender on and everybody's miserly. I mean, everybody's, I'm sorry, uh, you know, spending on things they should be miserly on. All my poor friends, boy, whenever they need money for a concert or a vacation or a new car or a new flat screen TV, they got plenty of money. But God forbid I'm ever like, hey, you want to go to this conference with me? It's 2000 bucks. You would think that I just brought up, you know, killing puppies. That's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, dude, the more you learn, the more you earn. Billionaires teach that to their five-year-old kids. You know the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Well, okay. That's great. I can summer. I've never, I've read that book once. I think I, I remember it not being my favorite, but I should reread it before I pass judgment on it. But at the time it didn't strike me as so genius. I can tell you rich dad, poor dad, more you learn, the more you earn. People who have more money have more in their brain. Homo sapiens rule the planet, us humans, because we can think more. If you don't have much going on in your brain, well, you're more like an animal. I, it's like that simple. I know people are going to find that controversial, but whatever. I, you know, I hope you appreciate that this talk and this show is me saying what I feel is true. I'm not doing it to hurt anybody. I'm not doing it out of bad intentions. I'm saying, here's the answer. Business, learn more. And that's going to come by doubling down and investing more in knowledge and education. You know, people come into this inner circle that I have and they're like, why do you charge money for it? You know, cause I don't need the money. I have regular business that make money. I'm like, well, you only appreciate what you spend money on. If look at Google, all the free information, you can go to Yale literally and take Yale classes on YouTube. How many people you know that actually do that? Have you sat down and disciplined yourself and gotten a Yale education on YouTube? No, because it's free. <laughs> but people will write applications and beg to get into the real Yale University, even though the same professors are right there on everybody's laptop and iPhone. But it's free. There's some importance in actually spending money. And of course, not all good education is free. Like there's a Sometimes I look at YouTube, like I was looking how to play the piano and all the free YouTube videos on playing the piano look, they're like horrible, <laughs> random things. So spend money to grow your business. That is the key thing. Investing, doubling down in the best investment. If you're not yet making a million bucks or even if you're at the million dollar level, the difference between my friends making a million dollars a day and a friend's making a million dollar a year is the amount of knowledge in their head. My friend that makes the most money of all my friends, and a lot of my friends have $100 million businesses, but my friend who has a billion-dollar business, who's not even 40 yet, boy, if you sit down with him, it's like a fountain of knowledge comes out of his mouth. How do you think it got there? He was definitely not born there with that knowledge. 
as you know, evolutionary mismatch, I have that talk. None of us is born with the cap- natural capability of making a lot of money. It's not in our DNA. Some of us might have DNA to be good at hunting. Like sports is more natural than business. Business is a learned activity, especially in a complex world that we live in now that is full of, you know, uh, different um, specializations. Now, love life. It's the same thing. You know, we, I've been interesting, uh, I've been an investor in some of the largest dating sites in the world and I just had the, uh, did the talk at the social network and, uh, dating conference that's in Beverly Hills once a year. And I had all the guys, I had a big party at my house and I don't know, three, four, five hundred people showed up, all the top CEOs of the big companies. And it was funny because one thing, uh, that I talk a lot of to them about in their research and mine is that like attracts like. If your social life sucks, it's almost always a reflection. Not of, oh, the world's unfair and there's no good people. It's a reflection on you and your state of learned helplessness. Fact. Dr. Helen Fisher. I'm opening up here to chapter one. She's one of the preeminent scientists on human love. She's got this book, National Bestseller. How to find and keep lasting love. Why him? Why her? And on page here, uh, where is it? It was talking about why humans are attracted to each other. You know, why do we like one person over the other? And she basically says that it's simple. People are attracted to people similar to them. That's it. So if crappy people are showing up in your life, it means you're probably crappy. I mean that, and I've, for my own life, that's something that's hard medicine to swallow. Here you go on page six. The researcher, Dr. Helen Fisher says, psychologists have determined that men and women tend to fall in love with individuals from the same ethnic and socioeconomic background with those of a similar level of intelligence, education, physical attractiveness with individuals holding similar religions, political and social views, and with those who have a similar sense of humor. So we tend to fall in love with people like us. Now, some of those are outside of your control, right? Socioeconomic background, where you were as a little kid, ethnicity, that's out of your control. But you know what's not out of your control? Intelligence. Humans can raise their IQ. I've been in Mensa since I was, I don't know, six, seven years old. As I read Mensa documents on human intelligence, you can change your IQ. In fact, in the last 50 years, I read like, Average IQs in the world have been going up every decade, I think, by like 1% or something. Or one point, I should say. Don't quote me on that. But it's it's an increase at some level. Uh, you can change your IQ because IQ is a measure of capacity. So increase the use of the capacity of your brain, which, you know, basically none of us do. And you'll be you'll get more intelligent people attracted to you. Uh, education, that's within your control. If you can't afford college, great. Watch YouTube, Yale. You can get a Yale edu- My grandma came on a boat from Germany, escaping World War II in 19, I don't know, 36, I think, or something, 37. And she figured out a way, had no money to get into Yale. But 
Now you can do it with really no money, just an internet connection. So if you change your education, you're going to attract a higher, more educated level person. And physical attractiveness. Now, some people say physical attractiveness is locked in. No, it's not. I'll tell you this. If everybody in the modern world was at their optimal weight and was working out, so many people that now seem unattractive would be so much more attractive. I mean, I've seen on my own face, if I get out of shape, I definitely look less attractive than when I'm in shape. So there's some uh, part of your physical attractiveness, like your bone structure, that you're not really going to change, right? But most people stay right there in a state of learned helplessness. Oh, I'm not really, you know, attracting good-looking people. I'm not really attracting intelligent people. I'm not really attracting educated people. What that is telling me is you're none of those things or not doing them very well. And that's a harsh lesson, but you might as well hear it on this show because it's the truth and science is backing this up. There's no coincidence that Brad Pitt is married to Angelina Jolie. It almost always works that way, right? So if you want to marry someone like Brad Pitt, you better become an amazing woman like Angelina Jolie. I mean, Angelina Jolie is smart. She's accomplished. She's done many things that were hard. She's overcome obstacles. She's, you know, given to charity. She's adopting kids. She's an amazing woman. All of us, obviously, I'm no Brad Pitt, and you may not be uh, like Angelina Jolie, but we can do a lot better than we are now. So when it comes to love, when it comes to friends, if you're attracting crappy friends, probably again. Crappy people attract crappy friends. So take it as a signal to yourself instead of being like most people and being like, well, I'm in the cage. The only people in the cage here with me are crappy people to date and crappy people to associate and make friends with. Realize there is no cage. It's the cage of your own mind. Get out there. There's amazing people. Trust me. You probably, though, have to do two things. Change yourself, which starts as simply as educating yourself, getting more knowledge, Knowledge should become sexy. That's my goal. I'm going to make knowledge sexy. People are sometimes like, hey, Ty, why do you post pictures with all these beautiful women holding books? I'm like, well, I know how the human brain works. It's associative. And it already works. It's funny. I see people want to read. If you see, you know, Megan Fox reading all the time, more women would want to read. Kim Kardashian, half the world watches that show. I don't think they're big bookworms. And nobody else follows their path. So, you know, I'm trying to make knowledge sexy and, and it's already happening. You know, it already happens in the world. Last year, the average person bought 17 books in America. It's the highest ever in the history of the United States that they've been keeping records on book sales. People are getting smarter. You got to get smarter. You got to keep up. Remember I talked about at the beginning, Will Durant? The nature of biology is competition. If you think there's no competition, it's because you're entitled. And man, entitlement going to kill you twice. One, you won't grow if you think you deserve something. And two, all the great people out there who are going to hate you and definitely not want to spend time with you. I was talking about that book about intelligence, and it was talking about Picasso's son in chapter number one. Ian Robertson, Dr. Ian Robertson, that book uh, I have it up on my Instagram, and I'll have, again, the show notes on tylopez.com for this show. And what did he say? Well... He said a very simple thing. The reason Pablo Picasso's son never accomplished anything. The reason also Sylvester Stallone's son, you know, died at 31. 
drug overdose because his dad had earned it and his dad didn't feel entitled. His dad had a little fear going, if I don't take care of myself, nobody will, like Rabbi Hillel said. Whereas his son was like, well, my dad, I can always fall back on my dad's income. Uh, I can always blame someone else, right? I can blame, oh, well, I can always blame the drugs. That person's mother nature has a way of dealing with entitled people. It has a way of dealing with people that are salary slaves and people who are subject to learned helplessness when big famines, disasters, wars come about. Those people are wiped off the planet. Look at World War II. World War II, my grandma, thank God I would not be here today if she didn't say, you know, and those of you who might have heard me talk about my grandma's story, my grandma, fascinatingly enough, my grandma met Adolf Hitler when she was 19 years old. Her friend Melita Meshman, my grandma's, this is actually an article in New Yorker recently about my grandma. My friend, her friend Melita Meshman's like, Marianne, come meet this amazing guy that's coming, running for office here in Germany. My grandma lived in Berlin and my grandma went to this little house and she walked in and there was Adolf Hitler before he was, uh, you know, actually running Germany when he was still on the rise to power and he was yelling away. And my grandma said, this guy's crazy. I have to get out of Germany. See, my grandma was not in a state of learned helplessness. She tried to go with her family, but her family, my great, great grandparents couldn't get out. Or not my great, my great grandparents couldn't get out. My great aunt, Rayla, and then they got most of the men in my grandmother's family were killed in the war. They were soldiers, uh, and they died. But my grandma was not the monkey in the cage. She realized she had freedom, even though she was only 19 and didn't have internet, phone, didn't have a way to connect their family. She said, well, if my family can't go, I'll go alone. And she got on a boat, and I think it was 1937. Yeah, 1937. She was 19. Or maybe it was, sorry, 39. Uh, yeah, it was 39. I think she was 21. Uh, somewhere around there. And sure enough, Poland invaded, uh, Germany invented Poland, broke the treaty and World War II broke out. But my grandma was already on the boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean coming to New York City. You see, I am here because my grandma innately understood that life is selection, life is competition, and if she didn't pull herself up by her own bootstraps, nobody would, and nature, and mother nature, and the universe has a way of dealing with people that don't take the route that my grandma took. Now, don't get this confused. I'm not saying that those people who died in World War II deserved it. No, they didn't deserve it. You see, Mother Nature doesn't think like you and I. Mother Nature doesn't have morality. When one lion kills an antelope, do you think the universe cries over the antelope? No, the mother of the antelope might die, might cry. But there's no tears in this natural cycle. We should be compassionate to all people. But we should be afraid of Mother Nature. Mother Nature is time and aging. Mother Nature is famine and pestilence. And natural disaster. You must prepare now, like Lao Tzu says, right? Do what is difficult when it is easy. And I'm telling you right now, we live in a world where you can control your body and your health. You can control, do sit-ups. You can control your income level. Get educated more and more, whether you make a million or a thousand dollars a month. And your income will eventually rise. Social life, if your social life sucks, 
improve yourself psychologically, improve your physical health, improve your brain, and you will attract higher quality, more fascinating people. And lastly, if you are a depressed person and you're not happy and you're not fulfilled, well, that's what Martin Seligman started the whole study on, on how learned helplessness increases levels of depression. The second you think everything's out of your control, you give up. That's why people commit suicide often, right? I give up. There's nothing I can do, so I'll just end this thing while I can. That's the last act of people taking destiny in their own hands. You don't want to be that person. It's a, I, I read, I don't know what people believe about the afterlife. Uh, I don't know what happens when we die. Um, I know there's a lot of ideas, but I read an interesting book from this doctor on NPR. I'll try to find the book and post it on the show notes. I can't remember, but it, he basically has science why he thinks there is an afterlife. Uh, and he's a, he's like a Harvard professor and he's not like religious before he started interviewing people who had these, uh, whose heart had stopped and, and he saw how they would, it's fascinating because he said they would, you know, there's a story where people feel like they rise out of their body and are looking down on the operating table. So he put like these signs on little stands that somebody who was dead or laying on the, on the operating table wouldn't be able to see, but you could only see from the ceiling looking down. And so after people would die, he would ask them like what number was on this thing and they would give the correct answer. So he, he started feeling like, yes, you know, there is something after we die. So let's say, uh, you believe in that. One thing he said fascinating in the book that I'll never forget is he said, the only people that had horrible stories of pain and whatever darkness coming back from death were people who committed suicide. He said, everyone else who died in any other way who came back had a story of like light and great things, but you know, suicide, uh, they had, I guess, in his experience. So I'm not to get off on a tangent, but suicide is the natural, uh, end game for people who feel this learned helplessness to an extreme level. Now, most people that are depressed don't, aren't at that level, but why be at any level of unhappiness? Now, I do believe that we will never be in a continual state of happiness. I don't even think that's a good goal. The definition, like Freud says in chapter two of civilization and his discontents is, you know, the word happiness implies contrast, meaning to be happy means there has to be a time when you're not quite as happy. But I think you can achieve a continual sense of fulfillment. So my goal is fulfillment, feeling like I'm living out my destiny. And in great part, that comes from the elimination of this learned helplessness that we've been talking about throughout this whole talk. If you want to be happier, take life in your own hands. An interesting study I read, I wish I had written it down. I, I read so much. Sometimes I don't like to only take notes because it slows me down, but I read this fascinating study. I'll try to find it and post it eventually on the show notes if when I can find it. Uh, and what it said was, um, uh, people who kind of go out and try stuff a lot and fail a lot, even when they fail, over a lifetime experience much higher levels of happiness than people who kind of sit in the cage of life and never try stuff. So for happiness, you must become an experimenter, right? So if you're not sure what makes you happy, 
Freud, you know, in, in, I know a lot of people say Freud wasn't, was wrong. And I, I think people are somewhat moronic. If you ever read Freud, especially civilization is discontent. I think he was absolute genius. I know he may have been wrong on some of his, you know, sexual stuff, but if you read Freud, he says, you know, there's nine ways. I think it was nine. Don't quote me exactly. He doesn't give the number, but I'm, I'm trying to go off my memory. You know, he says people find happiness through beauty. People find happiness through romantic love. People find happiness by going to a cave and becoming a monk. And people find happiness by, uh, uh, intellectual pursuits. They find it through chemicals, you know, like alcohol and stuff. And he goes through this whole thing and he says his conclusion is everybody has a different constitution. You should find what your mix of ingredients is. So become an experimenter. Maybe you're a, 50% of your happiness will come from human love. 20% will come from intellectual. 30% will come from beauty and nature. And 10% will come from, I, he had religion in there. He had all these different ones. Find your mix. See, the only people that won't experiment are people who think they're in the cage. They're like, well, whatever happiness I'm at, I'm stuck. Well, there is a genetic component to happiness, but fulfillment, right? Fulfillment is within your capacity because the definition of fulfillment is feeling like you're living out your capacity. Martin Seligman studied this later in his other works. He talks about the three. If you haven't read his book, Authentic Happiness, I have it on my site, the link to it. And he says, you know, there's three levels of uh, fulfillment people find. Level one is hedonistic, hedonic, where it's like senses. You're just trying to like eat whenever, you know, eat whatever food and sleep with her, like drug, sex and rock and roll. And he's saying that that provides the lowest sense of fulfillment. And then he talks about the authentic happiness and the meaningful life. And it, that is when you're pushing yourself, right? So it comes from doing. That's what happiness, happiness hypothesis, Jonathan Haidt, as I open this talk, he spoke about this, right? He says, and happiness hypothesis in the very last chapter, I don't want to ruin it for you. But he talks about that, that happiness is found in between. You can't just search for happiness. Happiness comes as a, so a consequence of all these other things. And one of those things that it comes with is not being helpless. Get out of every area where you feel stuck, no matter what you have to do, no matter how extreme. Remember, the story of great people is often the story of people who took extreme matters, who took extreme risk. I don't care what religion you are, Islam, Buddhism, uh, Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian. I'm not really any of these religions, but I love to read all of them. And I grew up around Christianity, so I remember I've memorized a good bit of what Jesus said. And one thing that Jesus Christ said is he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. I came to divide families and husbands and wives and fathers and sons because he who thinks mother or father is uh more important than me is not worthy of me you see i swap out the word the good life truth see to get what you want it might take a sword in a figurative way of speaking it might take you cutting off friendships it might take you making extreme matters. If you got friends with horrible habits health-wise, you might have to cut those off. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword and divide people. Divide up. If your business isn't going where it needs to go, you might have to take an extreme. For some of you, you're in the wrong business. You chose the wrong career. 
that you might have to take a sword to it. Not everybody. Some people can make a 5% tweak, but some of you got to do something new. And that takes a lot of fear. But like Jesus said, he who's not willing to do these things isn't worthy of me. And in this case, I'm saying me represents happiness and fulfillment and the good life. To get what you want, you have to deserve it. If you want the good life, if you want happiness, a lot of wealth, a lot of love, a a lot of uh, physical health, you got to deserve it. And it's all there. I promise you this. If you have the technology to listen to this, that means you have enough money, enough opportunity. Whether you're listening to this, I know we have people in 40 countries listening. You might be listening in India. You might be listening in China, Africa, Russia. South America, but maybe you're at the World Cup in Brazil, or maybe you're here in Los Angeles. It's a wide open world. There's never been a better time to alive. The doors of the zoo cage have been opened. You're out. You're free. But with that comes responsibility. Educate yourself. Save your money and spend it on knowledge, learning, trips, travel to meet the greatest people. Buy books, buy seminars. Become part of mastermind. Every single thing you can do. Now, go straight to the top. Learn from the best. Don't waste your money. There's 130 million books. Don't read them all. Just read the top 100. That's all you got to do. Don't try to make friends with everybody. Just find the best people in the world and make friends with them. You don't need to marry or date everybody. Just find one amazing person and you'll be good. Right? You don't have to do all the exercises in the world and get a six-pack and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but do 50 push-ups a day. It's okay. You'll be fine. And like Martin Seligman found in all the research, you'll be a hell of a lot happier in the long run with this investor mentality. So here's my question to you. If you're listening on YouTube, on my site, might be on podcast, you can leave this as a review. All the other places, leave me a comment. If you're driving, leave this to me on Twitter. It's at Ty Lopez. I got about 160,000 people following me. So I love the conversation that starts. Answer this question about this show. What's the biggest area in your life where you've suffered from learned helplessness, where you've been wired to feel like you can't get out, but in reality, it's just an illusion. What is that area? All right. Most important thing after you do that comment, do you leave it? You can leave it as a rating on this podcast. If you're listening or YouTube, go to my website, tylopez.com. It's 100% free join. I think I now have the biggest uh, book of the day or book, newsletter in the world about reaches about 1.4 1.5 million people in 40 countries join that be a part it's free your environment will affect you one thing i didn't get time to talk about is that one of the best ways to do all this that i've talked about get out of the cage is do it with somebody else you don't have to do it alone even though it's your responsibility alone and nobody else is responsible for you your health, your wealth, all these, you can do it in a group. In fact, I recommend you do it in a group. So if you join tylopez.com, put your email address in there. You're going to get on the book of the day. I read a book a day and send summaries out. You can get that knowledge 100% free and you can be part of the community. So you can email me. There's an inbox right there. It's kind of like a social network. You can talk to me, start by talking to me. I check my emails and uh, remember, absolutely vital that you do it as a group, but it must start first with you. You take responsibility. Like Rabbi Hillel said, if you only, if you don't love yourself, who will? Nobody will. Take care of your life. Mother nature is a cruel teacher. Don't learn from mother nature the hard way. Learn from a talk like this. 
which is relatively painless. This might have seemed a little harsh to some of you. I mean it with only the greatest intentions. Every mistake I've ever made stems from the fact that no one ever sat me down when I was 10 years old and had this talk with me. Man, I wish I could go back in a time machine. But like I talked about Stephen Hawking, I just finished his book, The Theory of Everything. As far as he can tell, time only moves forward along the cosmological, thermodynamic, and psychological timeline, meaning time moves forward. And even, he says, 10,000 million years from now, when he predicts the universe will contract, he says, I was wrong. I thought Benjamin Button would start and time would reverse and we'd experience death before birth. But he said, I was wrong. I think time only moves forward. So do this today. Don't put it off. You'll never get today back. You'll never get today back. You'll never get your life back. Like Eleanor Roosevelt says, life's like a parachute jump. You only get one jump. You only get one try. You only get one attempt. There's no Groundhog Day. There's no Edge of Tomorrow movie going on. So be inspired, but take action. Begin to read, but start. Go on my site, tylopez.com. I've got all the resources that you need to get started. Remember, I'm not pointing you to me. I'm not your answer. I'm merely someone who point, can point you to people much higher than me, much further along. For some of you that are very interested in this. I've got an inner circle, uh, program. It's an 18 month program. Uh, I take you through many things. It's a primarily a business and finance and getting to whatever level above whatever level you're at now. So if you're at scarcity, getting you to financial independence, if you're already financially independent, getting you to prosperity, if you're already in prosperity, getting you to wealth, scarcity is under 70 grand a year. Financial independence is 80 to 120. Prosperity is getting you to a million dollar business and wealth is getting you beyond that. So that's kind of an invitation only. There's, there's a place on my site you can apply and, uh, you know, just put in your info and uh, it's not right for everybody, but only those super serious. I don't have time. I literally get, you know, thousands and thousands of people asking me to mentor them and help them. I do my best. I've got different levels. I've got a, of the program for some for people starting out and some of these, those of you who are further along, but life is short. Boy, I would give a million bucks gladly of the money that I've made more to have this being taught to me, you know, when I was 12 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old, I had to learn it the hard way. I was lucky enough to have 12 mentors and business partners that have given me much of this information. I was lucky to have learned at the young age from my grandma and grandma father to help raise me the love of books and knowledge. And I've been fortunate and I will pass that on as best as I can, as best I can. All right. Check me out at, at tylopez uh, for Twitter and tylopez.com, Facebook, Ty Lopez official, same for YouTube. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.